fantasy readers, this is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, you'll want to go back and do that first, because today's story is part two of Kate Stradling's King Thrushbeard retelling. It's a fun little romance with Faye in a contemporary urban setting. Actually, it's in the Phoenix area, which is my stomping grounds. And we left off wondering how long it would take Anna to work off her debt to Rainier. I'll continue narrating today's story, but stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to find out which of Kate's books is my favorite, as well as how to enter our quarterly giveaway with four fantastic audiobooks and a three-month Audible membership. For now... Please enjoy Thrushbeard by Kate Stradling. Chapter 5 I worked two weeks in the retail job without incident. Rainier met me outside the employee exit every night, even though I told him it wasn't necessary. You should buy a car if you insist on coming for me, I finally said. There's no reason for both of us to suffer through public transit every day. You should buy a car if it bothers you, he replied. That shut me up. Any money I earned would go to repaying my indenture, if, indeed, money could balance that account. In fact, when my supervisor handed over my first paycheck, I gave it straight into Rainier's hands as I left the shop. He inspected the stub with a frown. They're not paying you as much as they should. Since no one had discussed my salary within my hearing, I merely peered over his shoulder at the rate. It's higher than minimum wage. You can't buy a pair of socks in there for under $800. They can afford to pay you a lot more than this. He had a point, but an easy explanation leapt from my tongue. It's probably because I'm human. Isn't that a fey pastime, taking advantage of humans? Rainier froze pinning me with a stare. He shook himself from that unsettling inspection just as quickly, slapping my pay stub against his palm. I moved on to other, more interesting information. I found out this shop is one of several owned by Snagglefang. Is that why you got me a job here? The shop girls had been gossiping about the owner all afternoon, and I'd recognized his photo in their tabloid. He owes you a debt, Rainier said. The least he can do is provide you a job, and one with proper pay. So he knows I'm working here? No. A huff left my lungs, half laughter and half exasperation. Curse me, but his misguided sense of justice was adorable. Let me guess. The factory and the hotel were owned by Narrow Squint and Stork on Stilts. The upward twitch at the corners of his mouth confirmed as much. Had my brief sojourns there resolved whatever debts Rainier thought existed? More importantly, why did none of them have to change their names? The shop owner calls himself Audemar, and I'd have heard about a narrow squint or stork on stilts by now if they're all so upper class. None of them are vying for each other's standing. It's not worth the risk of losing face to unmask another fay when there's no gain of power in return. In other words, they would topple their king if given the chance. Thrushbeard had preemptively announced his name change. He might unmask the other three, but he likely considered such pettiness beneath him. If this job ended in havoc, would Rainier find me employment with the king? Or had Thrushbeard's acceptance of my humiliating label balanced whatever debts might lie between us? The answer didn't matter. This job wouldn't end in havoc. Or so I thought. The very next night, as I was straightening a row of neckties in the front window display, a screech of wheels cut from the street. Headlights blazed against my eyes. A full-sized SUV jumped the curb and smashed through the plate window. My co-workers screamed, and I pressed my back against the edge of the display, tempered glass rubble all around me. The huge vehicle plowed through clothing racks and skidded a half-donut across the marble tile. 
Then its frantic driver threw it into reverse and backed through the adjacent window display. The engine revved as the gears shifted into drive again. Tires peeled against concrete and asphalt, and the SUV fishtailed out onto the road, leaving one bumper among the store's wreckage and trailing the other behind. Crazy drunk! The fay at the register leapt from the door, her feathered glamour slipping to reveal a livid, beautiful face. She was already phoning the police as the crimson taillights faded into the night. Her counterpart, more visibly shaken, picked across the rubble to where I sat. Anna, are you all right? I swallowed and nodded, unwilling to voice aloud what swirled in my head. As quickly as the accident had happened, I could have sworn I'd glimpsed antlers in the driver's seat. Rainier showed up at closing time like always, but instead of waiting at the back, he wandered around to the front where caution tape and flashing lights marked the scene of the crime. Oh dear, he said, though he didn't sound at all sincere. After surveying the torn apart boutique, he pinned his focus on me. Are you hurt? I shook my head, not trusting myself to speak. Were antlers a common accessory among Fay? I'd seen a few others wearing them, but this was too much coincidence. In all our time together, I'd never seen him drink a drop of alcohol, nor did he own a car. But if it wasn't a drunk driver, the crash had been intentional, and I didn't want to consider his motivation. Mostly because he might have killed me. Did he secretly want me dead? Anna? He dipped into my line of sight, jarring me from my tortured introspection. We should go. I'd already given a statement to the police, Fay officers, unsurprisingly, and Audemars Snagglefang would arrive any moment. Despite my misgivings, I accepted the elbow that my keeper offered. Don't worry, we'll get you a new job tomorrow he said as we walked toward the bus stop. A feeble laugh fluttered from my lips. Is the debt to me here repaid? Do you feel otherwise? My footsteps stuttered, but I forced myself to continue walking. I don't know anything about it. You're the one who said he owed me. Yes, and by paying you less than you're worth, his debt was increasing. However, misfortune like this can only balance an account if the wronged party accepts it as amends. Misfortune? I echoed. Y someone rammed an SUV through the store. Misfortune doesn't begin to describe it. Comeuppance, then? His wry expression spiked my festering distrust. Was it you? I blurted. He paused mid-step, all elegance as he fixed an impassive stare upon me. If it was? I was in the window when it happened, arranging the display. I could have died. The display was the safest place for you to be. If you'd been further inside the store, the driver would never have seen you and may have run you over. Despite his careful wording, it was an admission of guilt. He'd crashed through the boutique. Even if he'd timed it for when he could see exactly where I was, He'd still terrified me and the other store clerks. Tears spilled down my cheeks, proof of the knotted emotions I'd suppressed since the incident. A noise of disquiet clicked in the back of his throat. I always forget how fragile humans are. My eyes snapped up, wrath thrumming through me. Fragile? So when someone tries to mow down you, Fay, you just shake it off? Even as the words left my tongue, I recognized their truth. Both my co-workers had recovered quickly, their composure returning before the police arrived. They had relayed their account of the crash with bloodless calm, their two perfect facades firmly in place. I'm sorry, Rainier said. The debt had to be answered before it grew any further. I flung an arm back toward the ruined store. How does that not strike an imbalance in the opposite direction? His golden eyes followed the line of my gesture, brows arched. Is a wrecked boutique worse than a threat of death? 
Is it worse than your father's twenty years of servitude? My breath caught. My father received compensation for those years. His contract had made him a wealthy man, in fact. But none of this mattered to Rainier. Compensation enough for selling his firstborn? How much is your life worth? I opened my mouth, but shut it again. He drove home his point. Ottomer's underling set your father's contract. By his machinations, you would either now be dead or bound to him. Is a wrecked boutique worse punishment than either of the outcomes he plotted against you? When framed like that, it fell laughably short. Still, I shoved his shoulder. Tell me next time. Don't exact revenge without telling me. I could have died. You were never in danger, and it was justice, not revenge. It would only have been revenge if you knew of it beforehand and allowed it to happen. Ugh, stupid fey pretenses. Do you have any authority to dole out justice? On behalf of someone under my protection? Yes. In fact, it's required. A counterbalance to servitude. Why did he have an answer for all my complaints? I swatted him again. Tell me next time. Will there be a next time? Do you have further grievances I should answer? My heart lurched. No. Then there's no cause for concern. If you consider this debt repaid, it is done. I stared, the early spring breeze enveloping us both. By human standards, he should have ended tonight in jail. But Faye weren't human, and their ruthless acts required ruthless recompense. As I studied him, an odd worry floated to the surface of my thoughts. Will you suffer consequences? I asked in a small voice. Perhaps I suffer them already. With a fatalistic sigh, I closed the gap between us, wrapping my arms around him and burying my face in his chest. No one had advocated for me in ages, and certainly not to such a meticulous degree. I might later regret this, but Rainier was warm and smelled nice, and I was still shaken from my earlier ordeal. In this moment of weakness, I could pretend we were more than master and indentured serf. When his arms enfolded me, I sagged deeper into the embrace. I'm sorry, he mumbled into my hair. I didn't mean to frighten you. I only laugh against his dress shirt. In what ludicrous existence did a careening SUV not frighten someone in its path? Our homeward commute was quiet. I spent most of it with my head against his shoulder, my eyelids drooping. It was odd finding comfort in someone who had willfully crashed a car through an upscale boutique. He was a steady, solid presence, though, and had been since the day we met. Where did you get the SUV? I finally asked. He shifted to meet my upturned stare. I don't know what you're talking about. The SUV that crashed through the shop? Where did you get it? His expression remained blank and no answer emerged. Exasperation clicked in my throat. I twisted forward again, leaning more heavily into him in my sulk. If you had a car all this time, why have we been riding the bus? I muttered under my breath. And if it wasn't your car, won't you owe a debt to whoever owns it? You worry too much, said Rainier. When we arrived back in our neighborhood, as a form of punishment, I made him buy us street tacos from a food truck. He usually gravitated toward nicely presented food, things that required utensils and that wouldn't fall apart mid-meal. They're symmetrical, though, I said as we entered our building's elevator, fragrant dinner in hand. The tortillas are round and they fold into little half-moons of flavor and joy. He slid me a sidelong glance and refrained from comment. Once within our mail slot apartment, I divvied up the spoils on two plates and presented him his share. He looked around as though expecting something more. I know you're not thinking of eating tacos with a fork, I said in a flat voice. 
I don't like eating with my hands. We have napkins for any grease or spills. With a dour expression, he took his plate and reluctantly gathered the first taco. As he raised it to his mouth, I said, You don't have to keep your too-perfect face on all the time, you know, especially when it's only us. He paused, food aloft. My true face is... imperfect. I waved dismissive fingers. Everyone's true face is imperfect. Imperfections are endearing. His golden stare bored into me. Is that how humans survive without going insane? You see imperfections and choose to embrace them? It depends. If we care about someone, their flaws can be precious, part of the fabric that makes them uniquely them. If we dislike them, though, their flaws can amplify that dislike. Is this your way of telling me you care about me? I tossed a shred of cabbage at him. Fine, keep your glass mask on. A smile played around his mouth. He ate all the tacos I'd given him, and so elegantly that I wished we'd bought a dozen more. Chapter 6 I thought the scales were back in balance all around until the next morning dawned. Rainier got me a job with Thrushbeard, the company and the Fairy King both. I was to be a gopher, running items to and from the mailroom, taking and delivering lunch orders, that sort of thing. Gone were the hour-plus commutes. The company headquarters were in central Phoenix, just like our apartment building. In fact, Thrushbeard owned a number of buildings in that area, more than the ones that bore his new name. Does he work here, too? I asked my keeper as we stood outside the glass and concrete entrance. What if he sees me? Not a hint of worry hung about him. I doubt he descends from his ivory tower much. You're not working on the executive floor. Any plans to drive a truck through the doors? I wryly asked. He remained aloof, as though he hadn't the faintest clue what I meant. I shifted from one foot to the other, my nerves bundled in a knot. All right, but why here? I thought any debt between me and your fairy king was already settled. Or am I the one who owes him for my insult? It's just a job, said Rainier. It's never just a job, I muttered. But I started toward the building nonetheless. The employees were mostly fey, of course. I ran errands for the programmers and the data analysts, barely worth their notice as they worked. The break room had food from local bakeries and restaurants. At the end of the day, one of my fellow gophers was about to throw all the leftovers in the trash when I intervened. What are you doing? That's still good. He blinked, his glamoured face framed by a pair of ram's horns. No one here will eat day-old food. I snatched a half-empty box from his hands. I'll take care of it. After a dubious once-over, he shrugged and left me to the task. Predictably, Rainier arched his brows when I exited the building with three boxes of muffins, bagels, and donuts. They were going to throw them out, I said defensively. That's more than either you or I can eat. So we give some away on our walk home. And I did exactly that, offering pastries to passersby, a spring in my step as we trekked around the block to our apartment building. We arrived home with less than a box left, most of which I tossed into the freezer for weekend consumption. If I'm providing some of the food along with rent money, doesn't that pay down my indenture faster? I asked. That would depend on where you're getting the food. How long will it take, do you think? His golden eyes lifted to meet my anxious stare. I don't know. Where will you go when you're properly rid of me? It's not a matter of getting rid of you, I said pettishly, but his question ricocheted around my brain. Where would I go? Back to my father? No. Any trust I had for him was gone. If my contract with Rainier ended tonight, I would be homeless, jobless, and alone. I hadn't kept in touch with friends from high school and had taken a gap year afterward that I didn't use for anything of substance. Deep down, I'd known there was something off about Dad's fey dealings. 
I'd avoided entangling myself anywhere else in favor of watching over him, to my detriment. Rainier ducked into my line of sight. I can't abandon you. When you're able to live on your own, free from debts or threats, the contract will expire. My vision blurred. But that might be never. It won't be never, Anna. It hasn't even been a month. I swallowed and nodded. So far, I hadn't even kept a steady job. I would this time, unless Thrushbeard thought to cheat me like Snagglefang had, in which case my keeper would find another SUV and I would move to new employment. The uncertainty demoralized me. Rainier retired to the partitioned bedroom shortly thereafter, leaving me in a wretched state. I had chosen a chattel contract but I should have demanded specific terms. I should have negotiated. Even if it took me a decade to work off the debt, at least I would have an endpoint to pin my hopes on. Although my life now was more independent than it had been with my dad. Here I contributed, if only a pittance. The mischief Rainier caused behind my back didn't involve selling me to some unknown fairy either. In many ways, I felt freer than I had a month ago, before I'd ever heard his name. So stop worrying, I muttered under my breath. The break room always had leftover food. Some days it was pastries and others burritos. One evening, I walked out of the building with half a birthday cake. Rainier merely shook his head. When I served him a giant slice after our takeout dinner, he suppressed a chuckle and ate every crumb. I heard plenty of gossip on the job, too, a perk of working for a social media company. Narrow Squint's business had missed a huge product launch deadline. Stork on Stilts's resort had lost several prestigious hosting contracts, and Snagglefang's assets, over-leveraged by the destruction of his storefront, had thrown him into bankruptcy proceedings. Rainier had placed me at those jobs during pivotal moments for each company. I didn't feel an ounce of guilt. They had bargained with my life, and they deserved the misfortunes that happened in retaliation. Of Thrushbeard, I heard very little. Supposedly, he lived in a penthouse on the top floor with all his needs provided, so he rarely descended from his throne. The only gossip about him was a weird rumor that he'd secretly gotten married. That's probably a twisted version of his meeting you, Rainier said when I reported it. Great, another injury I've caused him. No, that one will run its course with no harm done. I didn't ask how he knew this. He'd already demonstrated his superior understanding of his people, and I could well imagine the fairy king weathering such a rumor with the same aloof mastery that he weathered his ill-gotten name change. And indeed, as days blurred into weeks, no mishaps threatened the Thrushbeard Empire. A month into the job, with lovely spring winds swirling around us and the promise of summer in the bright sun above, Rainier and I approached the towering office building. I've told you a dozen times that you don't have to walk me every morning, I said secretly enjoying his company, even as I gave him an excuse to vacate. My companionship in this matter does not stem from a lack of trust in your capabilities. Only he could get away with such a convoluted response. He kept his gaze forward as I peered up at him. What, you think I'm going to get mugged on my way here? The golden eyes slid my direction and away again. I would be remiss in my responsibilities toward you if that were ever to happen. I didn't miss the hint of dry sarcasm in his voice, but my heart warmed nonetheless. With a skip in my step, I returned my attention to the building up ahead. A cluster of fay stood near the door, staring at a black limousine parked at the curb. I paused, a frown between my brows and my stomach suddenly churning. Was this... Perhaps the fairy king returning to his domain? The driver of the vehicle was already opening the back passenger door. In fluid movement, an elegant fay stepped onto the sidewalk. Not Thrushbeard, 
but Snagglefang. I hissed and scooted behind Rainier, who had stopped alongside me. He didn't so much as flinch, hands in his pockets as he observed the scene. I peeked around his shoulder, never more grateful for such a calm, collected shield. Snagglefang, with much pomp in the angle of his chin and the set of his shoulders, swept to the entrance. The collection of fey onlookers parted to let him by, their golden eyes huge. Only after he'd passed through the glass doors did I dare utter a word. What's he doing here? I don't know, Rainier said. Maybe he's come to beg forgiveness from his king. He started walking again, but I caught his elbow, panic pumping through my veins. His brows arched. Can I stay home today? I blurted. He glanced from me to the building and back. Embarrassment crept up my neck. I couldn't play hooky, not when my job was my only means of ending my indenture someday. Nervously, I licked my lips. I mean, but Rainier dangled his cell phone in front of my face, the lock screen already bypassed. Call your supervisor. I'll call in as well. Oh, you don't have to. It's too nice a day to spend indoors anyway, he said, looking skyward to the puffs of white and gray clouds that drifted above us. I hesitated, but only long enough for him to favor me with an arch glance. Wary that he might change his mind, I snatched his phone and made the call. I didn't even offer an excuse, just said I couldn't make it to work. Faye were far more permissive in these matters than humans. My supervisor didn't question me. I hung up, wallowing in my own cowardice as I returned the phone. Stoic as ever, Rainier called his work and said simply, I'm not available today. Whoever had answered the line didn't question him either. Where do you work? I told you I have a desk job. It's terribly boring. He tucked his cell phone into his suit pocket and glanced around. Snagglefang's car had moved up the road, whether to park or to circle the block was anyone's guess, and the fey onlookers had dispersed. What kind of adventure shall we have? Rainier asked. I didn't entirely trust the hint of mischief in his voice. I hooked my arms around his elbow and turned him the opposite direction. Anything that keeps me out of Snagglefang's crosshairs, please and thank you. He actually laughed, containing his mirth a split second too late. If I'd known ditching work could earn me such a reward, I'd have done it sooner. In the end, we rode the light rail into Tempe and ambled to a park alongside the town lake. Man-made water features are so underwhelming, Rainier said, surveying the long, glittering reservoir. I sidled closer to him, shameless as I hung upon his arm. In the desert, any water is a wonder. We're contractually obligated to admire it. The closer, the better. He didn't quite catch my meaning until I steered him to a boat rental business at the lake's edge. At his questioning glance, I pointed to the little crafts bobbing on the water. Look, they have one shaped like a duck. It's more expensive than their standard pedal boats. Killjoy, I muttered. When I tried to turn up the path, though, he tugged me instead toward the just-opened rental office, already fishing his wallet from his pocket. The boat attendant collected payment and led us not to my coveted selection, but to a regular red model which, to be fair, was for the best. I couldn't picture my somber, antlered companion piloting a giant yellow duck. We spent a couple hours tooling around the lake, circling from the railroad bridge to the street overpass, pausing beneath to enjoy the ribbon of shade before venturing out into the temperate sunlight again. Kayaks and other pedal boats soon glided across the water with us. I pointed back toward the little marina, where a couple was pulling away from the dock. Someone rented a swan. Maybe he's trying to impress his companion, Rainier said with a bland, sidelong glance. I fought the urge to laugh. In that case, the duck would have been better, but maybe he's proposing and wanted elegance instead. Seems like a bad omen. Swans can be vicious. 
We passed the couple on our way back, an older pair out for a pleasure ride. They waved, and so did we. After we returned our pedal boat, we found an overpriced gastropub up the road, with fay servers waiting the patio tables. I shook my head when I saw the menu. This is too expensive. I'm just digging myself deeper into your debt. It's my responsibility to see that you're properly fed, Rainier replied, and the restaurant was my choice anyway. Technically, he had two incomes at his disposal because I was still giving him my paychecks. Rather than quibble, I settled in and ordered a sandwich. Rainier did the same. We spent the afternoon window shopping, and as we stepped onto the light rail back into Phoenix, he tapped the end of my nose. You're pink. I pressed my fingertips to my cheeks, feeling the warmth there. I wore sunscreen, I feebly said. One application in the morning couldn't withstand a day beneath the Arizona sun, though, even during springtime. I knew that, but it was easy to forget in the moment. He nodded sagely. We'll get some aloe on the way home. Do Fay get sunburns? I asked. Their race had originated overseas in much more temperate climates than this one. He gestured vaguely to his glass face. The glamour prevents it. Yet another advantage their magic gave them over humans. I fully intended to return to work the next day, but we arrived to a pair of black limousines hugging the curb in front of the Thrushbeard offices. Snagglefang was already exiting the first. From the second, Stork on Stilts emerged, straightening his suit coat with a supercilious glance at his surroundings. My feet stuttered. Rainier instantly hooked an arm around my shoulders and pivoted us both the opposite direction. What? I started to say. He unlocked his cell, pulled up my work phone number from his contacts, and wordlessly passed the device to me. I swallowed and, to my shame, hit the call button. Again, my supervisor asked for no excuses. Rainier made the same call as the day before and returned the phone to his pocket. A backward glance showed Snagglefang and Stork on Stilts entering the building together. Why are they both there? I whispered, as though they might hear me across the distance and the morning street noises. Rainier's melodic voice thrummed through me. I don't know. Maybe Snagglefang lost his nerve yesterday and brought reinforcements. What shall we do today? Something indoors? The aloe the night before had tempered my sunburn, but I didn't want to risk inflaming it again. We ended up trekking to an aquarium in Scottsdale, where we strolled among fish tanks and animal exhibits for the better part of the day. And while I enjoyed every minute, a nagging voice at the back of my mind warned that it was a waste that ran counter to my goals. I couldn't earn out an indenture by going on mock dates with my benefactor, nor would I want to use that method if it were possible. So on the third day, when three limos sidled next to the sidewalk in front of the Thrushbeard building, I dug in my heels before Rainier could direct our path. I can't ditch work three days in a row, I said, and I'm guessing neither can you. He shrugged non-committal as his gaze remained fixed on the trio of vehicles. Snagglefang left the first, Stork on Stilts the second, and Narrow Squint the third. Trouble always comes in threes, he quipped. I nodded, frowning, which is why we can't miss another day. His attention shifted to me, those perceptive eyes in an otherwise expressionless face. Are you sure? My insides churned, but I'd already decided, yes. A hint of a smile touched his lips, as though he approved my choice. Do you want to enter with them, or... This subtle teasing earned him a dire look. I'll wait until they're inside, if you don't mind. Ahead, the trio of Fay barely acknowledged one another, exchanging stiff glances. After a brief hesitation over who should lead and who should follow, Snagglefang threw back his head and strode for the entrance. Stork on stilts and narrow squint, scowling like they'd sucked on lemons during their drive over, 
followed in his wake. I counted to ten and reluctantly resumed my approach. I doubt they're visiting the programmer's floors, Rainier said, keeping pace beside me. I hummed. Certainly the illustrious Fay would be headed to the executive floor where their king presided. They'd hardly take stairs, though, and I had no desire to encounter them waiting at the elevator bay. My lagging footsteps prompted him to say, We can still call in. Tempted though I was, I shook my head. I don't think we should. I'll just keep a low profile until they leave. Suit yourself. I'll be here for you at 5.30, as usual. I shot him a grateful smile. It wasn't enough to express the fondness that swelled within me, so impulsively I caught and squeezed his hand. Then, because I'm a coward, I bolted for the immaculate glass door. Once inside, I spared a backward glance, cheeks burning and heart racing from a glimpse of antlers at the street. He kept his vigil until I moved beyond sight. The high-level fay had already disappeared into an elevator. I took the stairs anyway. Voices buzzed among the programmers and analysts. One of my fellow gophers greeted me with a conspiratorial whisper. You'll never guess the drama you've missed. What's happened? Audemar, the Audemar, has come two days in a row, and Thrushbeard refused to see him both times. Now he's returned with Gwenael and Eutychus, and it's anyone's guess whether they'll receive an audience. Rumor has it their misfortunes might get them all ejected from the high court. The glee with which this news circulated surprised me. Even without knowledge of the particulars, many of my co-workers attributed Thrushbeard's name change to the present groveling of his ambitious colleagues. Everyone agreed that he had somehow visited their woes upon them in retaliation, and I was powerless to correct them. I mean, I could have but I shied from disclosing that awkward truth. Nor could I admit the role that Rainier had played. Was the fairy king aware of our activities? Would he drop vengeance on our heads if he caught wind? My nerves jittered at the thought, my fingers shaking as I texted a terse and surreptitious report to my caretaker. No worries, he texted back, a message so nonchalant that I barked a laugh. But true to this admonition, by lunchtime, the fervor died. One of the gophers reported that the trio of aristocratic fay received an audience, and that they left the building with heads tipped high. Thrushbeard accepted their penance then, said a programmer, disappointed as she twiddled a glamoured feather behind one ear. I guess he wanted the three to beg together, said her cubicle mate. Whatever brought their misfortunes, they must have conspired to invoke it. Then they both shrugged and returned to their work. I told you we were restoring balance, Rainier said on our walk home. You have nothing to fear from their corner anymore. But what about Thrushbeard? I asked, wringing my hands despite his reassurance. You have nothing to fear from him either. As a king, he must honor justice and mercy both. I ruminated on this all the way back to our mail slot apartment. Justice had kept Snagglefang waiting for three days. Mercy had provided him the audience he sought at last. His bargain with my father had triggered his fall from grace, and the bankruptcy he now suffered marked a form of atonement. I still wasn't sure if the punishment fit the crime, if it was too much or too little, but thankfully, that was not my decision to make. It was Thrushbeard's, and he could have it. Chapter 7 Weeks at my job stretched into months. At some point, I realized that I enjoyed pushing my cart from station to station, delivering packages or lunchboxes. I liked bringing home leftovers, if only to watch Rainier's discomfort as he surveyed the mismatched plunder. I liked how he ate bits and pieces to appease my expectations. I liked him, though I wouldn't admit as much aloud. I'm pretty sure you drew the short end of this contract, I said one evening as I threw away the wrappings from our takeout. I can't cook, 
and I'm not making enough money to pay more than half the rent and utilities. Why would you need to pay more than half? He asked, stoic as always. To offset the debt I owe you. Right now you're stuck with a mostly useless roommate. I plopped down beside him on the couch and grinned, sitting close enough that our arms touched from shoulder to elbow. You have your uses, he said, a faint smile upon his lips. I could almost read him like a book, and that smile was my daily goal. I leaned more solidly against him. No need for flattery, kind sir. It's not flattery. You're useful. My heart quickened. Determined to keep this interaction playful, I said a sing-song thank you and straightened enough to plant a kiss on his cheek. It was a mistake. I knew the moment I did it that I shouldn't have. I kissed not the smoothness of his glamour, but the silky skin that lay beneath. I recoiled, but he caught my wrist, arresting my retreat. Though his mask stayed in place, his golden eyes seemed more alive than ever, more liquid, more piercing. Playful, a desperate part of my brain whispered, keep it playful. All right then, I said, for symmetry, and I leaned back in and kissed his other cheek. I pulled away slower this time, unable quite to meet his gaze. The hand upon my wrist neither tightened nor withdrew. Was he disgusted? Intrigued? If he had drawn me back to kiss in earnest, I would have let him. Instead, this is outside the boundaries of our contract, he quietly said. With searing embarrassment, I wrenched backward. Sorry, I didn't mean, I mean, of course it was outside our contract. I was chattel, not his companion. Whatever affection I felt toward him, he was only my keeper, and only until I could support myself. The hold on my wrist released. He retreated to the bedroom with a hushed, good night, leaving me to marinate in a puddle of awkwardness, a ring of phantom warmth lingering on my skin. I left for work the next morning while Rainier still slept. Summer had set its fiery talons into the desert, so an earlier start made sense, but my own self-consciousness propelled me. Even at the crack of dawn, the air outside felt like an oven. At least I'd have a good excuse for being flushed. My cheeks burned every time the previous evening flashed before my eyes. I'd made an idiot of myself. My best hope was that he chalked my behavior up to general human weirdness and never spoke of it again. Or that our contract magically expired before five o'clock. By the time my fellow gophers arrived, I had sorted through the early mail. I spent the morning delivering it among the company's rank and file, taking lunch orders as I went. As noon approached, I switched to meal delivery, thoughts fixed on plotting my exit. Rainier waited for me at the same spot each evening. Maybe I could leave the building early and sneak back home, and then pretend to be asleep. In a backward maneuver with my lunch cart, I collided with someone behind me. Oh, I'm so sorry. The apology died in my throat when I twisted around to meet my victim's gaze. Thrushbeard. The king. The head of this company. The fae whose existence I had all but forgotten. Holy stars, he was beautiful. The whole floor had gone deadly silent, all of the programmers agape. As panic set into my brain, I jerked around, erratic enough to overturn my cart. A wordless protest squeezed from my lungs as I tried and failed to catch it. Half a dozen cartons of hot soup hit the floor and burst, splattering a mess across the tile. Mortified, I stooped, intent upon mopping everything with an insufficient stack of napkins, but a hand seized my arm and hauled me upright again. I met Thrushbeard's gaze. His golden eyes flitted beyond me to our gawking audience, and he tipped his head back up the hall. I had no time to react. He dragged me with him to the elevator bay. Did he recognize me? Stupid question. Of course he did. I tried to form a coherent thought, but couldn't tear through the silence that hung like a pall between us. 
what punishment awaited. The elevator doors slid open to the executive floor, and we passed an empty lobby to enter the massive office that lay beyond. Thrushbeard gestured me to a chair, then leaned against his desk rather than crossing around to sit behind it. A casual elegance infused his posture, his arms folded as he contemplated me. Did the creature never speak? He'd been wordless the first time we'd met, too. I stood before him, opting to remain on my feet. Careless of my choice, he intently met my gaze. How had I once dared insult him? The crooked chin was there, yes, but barely perceptible in a captivating face. If anything, it added to his charm. Did he expect an apology now? I swallowed against the dryness of my throat and waited for such a cue. His well-formed mouth pressed flat. You left without me this morning. I was worried you'd run away. That voice. I sat down hard, my jaw slack and my eyes bulging. A thousand mismatched threads laced together in my brain. You! You jerk! It was you all this time? I leaned forward, mind aflame as I searched for clues that might have enlightened me sooner. I told you my true face was imperfect, he said dispassionately. But you never said we'd met before. You never asked. With an anguished cry, I flung from the chair and began to pace. Every glance I hazarded confirmed his identity, shades of Rainier hanging around him, in the immaculate fit of his suit against his shoulders, in the elegance of his hands. Humiliation burrowed deeper in me. A desk job, I scoffed, incensed at how he had twisted such a straightforward description, as if a desk as opulent as his could belong to a mere grunt. What was the point of this charade? He spoke his words with care. You refused my help once. I couldn't leave you to die without another attempt, and that required a different face. It was my responsibility to right the wrongs my vassals inflicted on you, and those I inflicted in so doing. I flinched. Responsibility. That's all I had ever been. I had the irrational urge to tackle him, but whether to throttle or embrace him, I wasn't sure. Maybe both. He observed my nervous back and forth until, presumably, the silence became too tedious. Anna, I've kept a balance between us according to the boundaries you chose. Last night, you put me in a difficult position. I froze, blood rushing to my face. That, forget it ever happened. I can't. I love you. I've loved you from the moment you tipped your haughty nose in the air and signed your own death warrant. The declaration thrummed through my bewildered mind. I opened my mouth, shut it, opened it again, and, despite my singing, dancing senses, gathered just enough outrage to say, I don't even know your real name. He blinked. Yes, you do. I gave it to you at the start. Rainier. I floundered for mental purchase. B but I thought... A faint smile touched his lips, and he said blandly, my parents love palindromes. My strength all but left me. I staggered back to my chair and collapsed into it, burying my head in my palms. He'd given me a false face, but a true name. And among Fay, that name was by far the more valuable item. In my periphery, he dropped his hands to grip the edge of his desk, as though bracing himself. Anna, he said. I looked up to meet his golden gaze, eyes I had been staring at for months. Do you want to renegotiate our contract? Renegotiate? Did he mean... Are you asking me to marry you? Yes. Oh. The syllable left me in a whoosh. My attention flitted around the vastness of his office, taking in the subtle luxury that filled every corner. Even if I didn't already stupidly love him, 
I'd be an idiot to refuse. But I did love him. If you need time to consider, he began, ever the gentleman. I don't need time, I said, my voice a squeak. Oh. A guardedness possessed him, as if the gravity of the moment had finally sunk in. As if he might be second-guessing. Shall we renegotiate? He asked again. My heart thundered against my chest, my breath faint. Yes, please. For all its softness, the smile that blossomed across his face, his true face, gave me life. Oh, good. We can finally move out of that rabbit warren. I laughed, the absurdity of this comment too much for my high-strung senses. If it was so uncomfortable, why didn't you tell me sooner? I was following your cues. You mean I should have kissed you weeks ago? Yes. You can make up for it now, if you'd like. Who was I to argue a suggestion so nicely wrought? But we were, after all, negotiating. I stood, but didn't move a fraction further. Only if you kiss me too. For balance. For balance. He wryly agreed, and took my hand to draw me in. I hope you enjoyed listening to Thrushbeard Part 2 by Kate Stradling, narrated by Corinne Norton. If you want to read more by Kate, go to katestradling.com to find more of her books. My absolute favorite of hers is Deathmark, which I went into warily expecting to dislike. It's a retelling of L.M. Montgomery's classic, The Blue Castle, which is my absolute favorite classic story, and I figured no one could do a retelling of it justice. But she did, and it made me a forever fan. And if you haven't read The Blue Castle, you need to snag both of those books. We still have our quarterly giveaway sponsored by our past and current featured authors with some fantasy romance audiobooks and a three-month Audible membership. So you'll want to head over to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to enter. This time it's open internationally, and I promise I've made it as easy as possible to enter. Reviews for the podcast are slowly trickling in, and I love whenever one shows up in my inbox. If you're enjoying listening to Finding Fantasy Reads, please consider taking just a few minutes to add your review to the mix. Oftentimes, authors check out the reviews before they agree to be featured on the podcast, so having good reviews means I can get more authors to let me share their stories. If you're not sure how to leave a review, check out today's show notes for some easy instructions. As always, I will have direct links for all the sites I've mentioned in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading. Thank you.